0: And welcome to series five, episode seven of the MSC Performance Podcast. Today, I'm with myself, Luke, and coach Max. Hello, Max. Hello, Luke. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Very good indeed. Fantastic. Today we have a few different questions that we're going to go through. Um, these are kind of questions that we've got through the last week or two that we thought would make a nice a nice episode of the podcast. Uh, so we're going to be covering a few things around diets, we're going to be covering a few things about training, a couple of, pop, uh, couple of subjects on mentality and then a little bit of power lifting related stuff as well. So a full podcast um, and I think it'll, it will be something for everyone and hopefully you all enjoy it. Hmm. But before we get started, Matt, tell us about yourself, how's uh, training, how's life, now the season of rugby's over. Yeah, training's good. Um, had our last game of the season on Saturday, so um, very good. Very excited, especially. So I'm booked in to do turf games in July, so I'm sort of can really go heavy at that. Especially now that I have kind of four more days that I could potentially put sessions in. Because if I'm training Tuesday, Thursday, playing on a Saturday, couldn't train really Saturday, Sunday, or maybe Friday. So there's a few extra days that I can train. So really, just gearing towards that, trying to up the intent of everything, um, and yeah, feeling motivated for that. How do you find that when you've done this kind of training during the off season? How good of a shape do you come in compared to the other guys? I talked to Mark about this yeah. because Mark is only during the off season. Like yeah. it's great. Some people use it as rest. Other people are like, okay, now's the time to to gain shape. Like you said, you've got this extra time, chance to train hard. Mm-hmm. You feel like you come in like with an extra, you know, you're already ahead of everyone else. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I think I treat the gym and training as like an extra hobby as well as rugby so a lot of the other guys who play team sports not just rugby but anything else rugby will be their main thing and then gym will kind of be a little do bit do you mean better. like you treat gym almost like a second sport exactly yeah. exactly and they will treat that gym as kind of like an accessory to it so they'll do it to try and better that hobby and then when yeah, they finish yeah. the season they're like oh actually I want a little bit of time off and they're not as motivated to stay in the gym whereas for me and for someone like Mark and other people who do trainers at gym and really enjoy it if anything, you could just up the intent in the gym and you yeah. want to it. it. You once took a step back, you can yeah. push on with the other one rather than just resting everything, yeah. And it is good coming into pre-season, like, actually feeling fit. You <laughs> see some other people when you do the first, like, fitness test, like, whatever test you end up yeah, doing, sure. and they're, they're horrendous. On, yeah. the, on the flip to that, do you feel like you miss out on having, like, that rest and recovery or do you feel like... Because you're already doing so much training, and uh, that eats back. That's enough recovery to allow you to then come back into the start of the season yeah. feeling fresh. Because I think it's safe to say that at times this season you've been feeling a little bit like not waiting for the end of the season, but you've been looking forward to this break. Do you feel like mentally you're tired from it, or do you feel like it's, head uh, it's been a long old season? So like these these leagues that we're in, we have last season it was more. We had 30 teams in the league. No, it's not 30 teams. 30 games. 30 games. Sorry, and that's that's a lot to get yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me, because it might be different for other sports, but because rugby is so just knackered on the body. So like two days after a game, you're absolutely dead. So like even though I'm up in the training in the gym, I still just feel so much Massive fresher. Miles exactly. So I can train harder in the gym but like the aches and pains it's just it's so much easier to get through. Yeah. Whereas when you're playing rugby, I mean, you can obviously I've had injuries throughout the season, which we'll come, come on to and talk about later in this podcast. Um, but just the generic fatigue that you get after a game even after a hard training on a Tuesday you feel knackered Mm -hmm. because it's more or less trying to simulate a bit of a game scenario so um, yeah looking forward to it I feel as motivated as ever and then if anything towards the end of the season I'm kind of because you are just getting into a bit of a routine of training rugby, my mm-hmm. motivation starts to sort of dip off towards the end of the yeah, season. See, yeah. Um I think that's completely normal. Everyone's yeah. really fatigued. It's been a tough season. Like I said, yeah. a lot of travelling as well, Like right? Every other dead game, you seem to be Cornwall or bloody, yeah. you know, up north. Yeah, like, yeah, it's no. tough, tough season, man. Right? You're not playing yeah. fucking Sutton every week, are you? Exactly. I wish I was, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so motivated. Hopefully, this time-off will motivate me, and it normally does, um, to sort of come back to rugby, and it's nicer training in the summer. Um, yeah. Yeah, what about you? How's your training? Well, I can we can use this to lead into the first one about our, yeah. uh, one of the subjects is training around injuries. Because yeah. uh, this, last week, I strayed my oblique, which is a really unfortunate injury. How did you do that? How did you do that though? How did I do that? A good question, Max. I was playing basketball. Nice. And I, ne- I normally take basketball fairly easy because it's, I really enjoy it, but it's secondary to my powerlifting training. Uh, but when I've just got a little bit bent out of shape trying to block a shot and um, strain my oblique, and I knew in the game it was sore, I just hung back at the, the back. But this whole week, like it's feeling okay now. But like this whole week, I've been trying to train around the injury as best as I can. Yeah. Um, overall, like training's doing fantastically well. Just obviously had a bit of a lighter week. The good news is I haven't got any competitions or anything. Yeah. Um, so there's not a strict timeline, so you can just have a bit of an easy week and try and set myself up as best as I can for next week. Um, so I thought it's a good chance to talk about like how I've trained around it. Yeah, um, so, what, so what, with this oblique strain happening, because we've had a few conversations throughout this week, What's been your kind of way, so when you were... Did you do it on Sunday? <laughs> I did it on Sunday. Sunday, and then what was your kind of way around it from when it first happened? Because you were you were in a lot of pain sort of Monday, Tuesday, weren't you? Yeah, it was sort of like going to sleep on on Sunday. I tried to hold to the one yeah. side and like, yeah, I just couldn't. I had to sleep on the one yeah. side. i had sneezing, coughing. If, if I had to in. sneeze, I'd like... <laughs> no, no! <laughs> Don't I need. couldn't sneeze, it was going to kill. I, yeah. I had to fight sneezing as much as I can. Coughing, I was doing like a little... <laughs> 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 rather than like a big cough, <laughs> I just did it on the cough. Uh, as best as I can but just any time that that would meet, it would just curse. That's like, similar to, like, I guess, like, if you get an issue with the ribs, it just, like, the yeah. day-to-day just really affected. So I came in on Monday, and the first thing I tried, like, okay, I just put off a day or two doing lower body training. I'll try and do my upper body. I tried to unrack on the bench, and I just mm-hmm. couldn't unrack. Like, that overhead position was killing me. Yeah. So I just went off, because I couldn't do anything. But, uh, but then I came in on Tuesday, and I did um, train twice, actually. Um, I was able to do the bench press um, as planned, yeah. so upper body has been absolutely fine. For the lower body I couldn't put a belt on, um, so like bracing against that was just too, too uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I did there was obviously reduce to, to beltless training, which then reduces the amount of load that you need to put on the bar, uh, and it also changed the movement from, um, it was meant to be an SSB squat but went for a Hatfield squat, mm-hmm. just so I could really sustain a touch more upright. So, half squat for the right now, the SSB is still on your back, but you've got your hands out in front to kind of guide the squat pattern, mm. which, if you've not done that before, it's a lovely exercise for just keeping that yeah. pure squat pattern of nice and upright, very knee-dominant squat. Um, and because of that, I was able to get up to like the normal loads I would have done on Safety Bar. Mm. Um, obviously, using my hands ever so slightly, yeah. but was, yeah, managed to adjust the exercise to, to fit yeah. the, the discomfort that I was experiencing. I was going to say, and that's quite a. Uh, I'm not saying injuries are good, but it's quite motivating for you now because we had a, we had a conversation today, didn't we, about you saying that, actually, you haven't done Hatfields for a while. You're actually tempted to put it in your programme now. Because you actually cause it because you felt phenomenal. Yeah. 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 One of the other subjects we're going to talk about is high and low days, but I think that's one mistake that, I think I've been making my training is pushing that second day a little bit too hard, yes. the second squat day that I do, and then that's making me fatigue coming into another session. So maybe just going slightly easier on that day would feel good and it felt lovely on the body. Mm. Like the next couple of days, I wasn't feeling yeah. sore, yeah. I felt pretty good for it. Uh, So I think like when you get these little injuries, even though the oblique's not like a main one through like the lower body, just having to make adjustments. um, Like the first thing that we look at, I mean you're gonna be the same if you're working with yourself or your clients, is first trying to stick to the same training but potentially just reduce the volume and the intensity down just a smidge. for do like what would you do first drop the volume drop the intensity try to drop do volume like the same? yeah drop volume drop intensity and then obviously work around the movement depending on like it's all based on the individual like and like their pain with it so it's like some movements that might actually hurt like for example with me when I did my ankle quite recently um I could still actually squat through it where, whereas other people wouldn't be able to so it's adjusting depending on the individual um and then yeah dropping volume dropping all that kind of stuff um I remember Nats had an ankle sprain before, and um, anything lateral, like it was a lateral sprain. Yeah. So as long as we went like feet underneath the hips, and like you know, she could squat, she could deadlift, and just modifying those exercises slightly to fit the discomfort. Yeah. yeah. Working around it is just the obvious thing to do. And like a big thing nowadays, I'm obviously not a a qualified physio, but like it's come out a lot, hasn't it, that when injuries do occur, unless it's obviously bone breaking or anything like that, like actually trying to get movement through and load through the body part that you've sort of strained is actually really useful. Um, I think Owen, who plays rugby, he did his hammy in a game and two days later me and Mark were telling him just try and actually get some really light load through it, like RDLs, try and get it going. So if you can get load through it, it's actually the most beneficial thing to do rather than, rest is obviously useful, but it's obviously come out a lot that resting, icing, all that stuff is quite bullshit really so yeah movement is the most important thing um, I think it's like I said it's choosing appropriate movement for the severity of the injury yes so yeah. someone like myself it's a, it's a very very mild of strain so just it was just the hard bracing that was the issue yeah uh, but like I said on a Wednesday instead of main downs so the, deal, so the RDLs up to about 120 well I yeah. only need to do about like 180 so it's probably about 30% down yeah um, um, but still able to do a hinge pattern Um, with lighter intensity, if it was more severe, like if you'd have really hurt your knee, Mm -hmm. you might be doing, instead of a back squat, you might be doing a goblet squat, so light loading, you might have to reduce the range of motion, which might be the next thing you look at if you needed to. Um, So there's this kind of hierarchy of things that we look at when we're trying to adjust these exercises. The first one is, I would say, try and keep the exercises that you're meant to be doing the same, and just reduce the volume and the intensity. Mm -hmm. Probably keep the volume roughly similar if you're dropping the intensity. If you've got three sets of eight at 100, and you drop it down to three sets of eight to sixty. That's probably still going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing you're looking at there is, is is choosing changing the movement for something that might be more appropriate for where you currently at. So for yourself with the ankle, you might not have been able to do a front squat. You probably could, but just for the sake yes, yeah, yeah. But you might be able to do something that's not quite as a forward knee translation. So you might be able to do a back squat or a box squat. Yeah. You're yeah, still yeah, able yeah. to train the movement, but slightly adjusted based off the yeah. issues that you're having. sticking to that program as much as possible so that yeah, you're not differentiating from that, yeah. And then the last thing I guess would be like the range of motion wouldn't it? So if, you're, if, you, if you've got a peck issue and you're bench pressing and you're doing all the way down that might be uncomfortable but doing a mm-hmm. block press might yeah. be a way of, of getting some good load and some good movement mm-hmm. through it but just avoiding that end range that might be uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, because did you talk about, have you spoke about that on a podcast, when you did your pep before your comp? We've kind of spoke before about, yeah. um, I like the idea of um, you know, training around the issue and trying to still get good load through, but then not avoiding that, that where the issue is. So like you yeah. said, with, with um, Owen, if his hamstring, he might not have been able to do like, heavy RDLs. He was doing light RDLs to get some movement through it, but he's probably trying to do the rest of his training fairly heavy. Yeah. So yeah. he's training around it and getting as much of a stimulus as he can. But then he's finding an entry point for the injured area and yeah. gradually building back in the movement. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's the key, really. Yeah, I think the worst thing you can do is just, if you do just get injured, training or just together. stop doing anything and sort of go from like 0 to 100 on what it is, where if you just if you keep yourself motivated and actually get in the gym, movement, stick to your program as much as possible, as you've said. Like if, you've got, if you've got an upper body, like Mark, when he tore his bicep, the next day he's doing sledge drags, leg pressing, yeah. leg extension. You can do something, man. Like, yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a day or two off if you're injured, but like there are ways to train around it. And being yeah. smart, and like you said, it's, it's actually to the benefit of it rather than it being detrimental to the long-term recovery. Yeah. If you can actually get in and get some movement going, it's going to speed up the recovery versus sitting at home in bad positions, Exactly. getting exactly. no loading through to the scar tissue, there's a, um, I can't remember the name of it, there's a name, something law, where like if you just don't get any movement in the scar tissue. Um, the muscle supply was aligned around the scar tissue from the damage, yeah, but if yeah. you keep doing movements it does help with like, the realignments and gets things kind of exactly how they would have been yeah. prior to the injury that's literally don't quote me on that that's but. literally so not going off piece too much but that's what happened with me more or less so I when I was at um, my club before Bourneville at Canterbury I was doing a pre-season game and I was kicking at the posts and something just twinged and then um, I couldn't walk at all my quad was in a lot of pain Um and it basically turned out that I ruptured my quad, but the physio at the club didn't uh, identify that it was a rupture, and so I sort of didn't really do much movement around it, left it for a while, and then because the rupture was that bad, the scar tissue was just kind of in the same place, but there was no chance of it actually healing to the degree yeah. it was, so if you ever look at my quad, if, if anyone gets a chance to look at it, I've always got this permanent dent in my leg now because of that scar tissue, So. Movement is always, like, it's the best medicine for most kinds of injuries, whether it's, like, little strains, whatever, just try and get yourself moving as quickly as possible. 100%. percent um, trying to find the name of the law. <laughs> the law. <laughs> <laughs> blah, 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 law. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. But that's, like, I think, like uh, a really key thing for people, is yeah. not to get too disheartened, where the aches and pains happen of, of training, and it's not that you're training wrong sometimes, it's just it's yeah. just part of sport. Yeah. Uh, the injury rate in the gym is super low, it's higher in team sports, but just finding ways to train around it by adjusting your volumes as yeah. needed did is, 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 is the key, I think. Yeah, 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 completely agree. Completely fantastic, agree. cool. Uh, next question, should we go for the nutrition one? I like the food one. Yeah, right, fantastic, we're gonna talk a little bit, someone was asking about like um, calorie deficits and like um, how fast they should be looking to, to lose weight etc and it's quite well timed as there was a study um, that we both have read um, called the efficacy of progressive versus severe energy restriction on body composition and strength in concurrent trained women do you want want to talk about that in layman's terms just so basically it was like a a high calorie deficit versus a smaller calorie deficit so we know to lose weight you need to be in an energy deficit either doing that for calories um, in your food or by increasing your activity So, in this group, if I get the the details up, um, there was a group that was on 25 calories per kilogram of fat free mass versus 40 calories um, per kilo of fat free mass. So, one's getting ahead of like almost double calories um, compared to the other. Not quite double, but yeah, you get the idea. One's in a very severe calorie deficit, the other group are in a smaller calorie deficit. Uh, And then they basically reduced this. Five, kilo, five calories per kilo every two weeks for eight weeks and then they've had a look to see how much weight they lost. Yeah. And actually the outcome was the same. Now if everything was done exactly how it should have been, in theory the group with the bigger calorie deficit should have lost more weight. So I thought it would be cool to get into that and kind of the reasons behind why that probably has happened. Yeah. And like what we see, like day to day, is working in gyms as yeah, well, trying yeah. to work with people and support them with their nutritional goals. So, do you want to kick us off? It's all it's all related heavily to this whole. Like a lot of people are still into their like intermittent fasting and all that kind of stuff. It's all based around just getting in deficit, and some people can get into that deficit a lot easier by doing that that fasting thing. Whereas other people would much prefer having a more sustainable diet, being a much shorter deficit. So. I do think with the intermittent fasting, it does allow people to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, yeah um, because if you're, on the, if you're on a very big calorie deficit, and if, if you can avoid eating for the first four hours, and mm. the last four hours of a day, and you're eating within that 12-hour or 8-hour window, you might be able to find it more sustainable. Right? Yeah, well, I think yeah. it works for some people. I know that there's actually some people that are completely the other way, but it's all individualised as well at yeah. this point, but like some people, that when they have... Say they're doing intermittent fasting, I don't know, say they've only got a 6-hour window to eat, or an 8-hour window, or whatever... Um, they're actually far more than they're supposed to within that window, um, yeah. because they just go completely, completely the wrong way, and they will just absolute binge crazy amounts. Um, the video's gone off. <laughs> Let's just carry on. we we'll do it about yeah. yeah, I can, I can cut this bit out. Anyway. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. Like it's when, it, especially if you're. Well, that's the whole point of this. Is the it's it's whatever you find to be. Um, you know, what you can adhere to. So, yes. if you're finding yeah. that you're coming into your, your eight hour window where you're allowed to eat, or whatever it is, four hours, eight hours, I think 18 to 12 are the most common yeah. ones, are there. Yeah. Um, if you're finding you're coming into that and you're absolutely starving, then maybe you're not going to stick to the calories that you've been prescribed yeah. versus eating a bit more gradual through the day. So, it's going to be an individual thing, like you've said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely. the difference between the two groups is that the group that was on the smaller calorie deficit was more sustainable and ad- adhered to the diet. Versus the degree that was on such a severe um, calorie deficit, they just couldn't adhere to it. And yeah. there was times where they'd probably be having cheat meals or going way above the calories and maybe not logging it. Yeah. And that's what we see all the time is when people are looking for this really aggressive cut, yeah. they really struggle with the adherence. And they might be able to do it like four or five days, and then they have a couple of days where they're a little bit loose with it, and then they repeat. And actually, when you probably add it all up, well, the study showed that they got the same. Yeah. If you're having like five days of severe dropping calories and then a couple of days where you're eating higher calories, you're probably equating for the week to the same amount of calories as the less aggressive group. Yeah, that's why I'll always, I'll always tell my clients or, or people in general on the gym floor, like sustainability is the most important thing. So it's like, if you create this kind of like negative relationship with food, then people will often bounce back even harder. Um, and then if they're in this kind of gradual deficit, like we're saying, You're more likely to stick with it. You have more kind of um, openness to all kinds of foods. Um, It's a lot more flexible. It's a lot more flexible. And then even the whole thing of like, if you're more sustainable, and say you know you're going out on the weekend for a heavy session or something, people can potentially bank calories. They can do loads of different methods to try and Adhere to that. Whereas, if you're in such a like a, a big deficit, no you can't you can't bank any at all, like to actually go out at the weekend as well. So it's just going to negatively impact you when you a say year. bank just to explain it for the yeah. are so talking about instead of eating two and a half thousand calories a day, you might eat two thousand for five days and then higher calories on yeah, the weekend. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot better motivation like motivation wise if people rather than look at calories on a daily basis, they look at it on a weekly one as well. Yeah, really. I think it's so much better because. That banking like method can be used, and it's just we, we don't know, see each individual day then as a win or loss. Exactly, and that's that can be so bad sometimes because I know I know people that they'll go over their calories and, and they think, "Oh, the oh fucked it now," yeah. like I've done. Whereas if you go over, you just know. Oh, right! One of the other days during this week, I've gone over go a, a 200 bit, calories. I've calories. Yeah. Yeah. two hundred calories down on this day. Yeah. yeah, perfect. But, yeah. but by all means, like as you say, um, it can work for others. So, like if you know you're going on holiday, six, eight weeks, whatever, people can go in a heavy, heavy deficit this and is- actually. Lose a good, good amount of weight and look good. Um, this is what the the study showing is that like when you put on like um, when you put on a strict timeline for something, and you're going for such a high calorie, but you're like, I'm only going to do this for four weeks, or I'm, yeah. I'm gonna do this for six weeks, and I'm gonna look really good at the end of it, or this is how I want to look. Um, you know, people are then find themselves th- that adhere to it more. Yeah, so if you've got yeah. like I don't know, like you've got a, a holiday and you want to look a certain way and you want to drop a little bit of weight, which some people do, you yeah, know, obviously have to. Um, but if people want to do that, then having a timeline and it makes it easy to sustain. Yeah. But if you're just doing it indefinitely, it's probably better to, to go for a bit more of a sustainable approach. Yeah. The other thing to think about as well is when you drop your calories so high, like it's hard to sustain with the food, but also yeah. like your daily activity just naturally drops as well. Yeah. Like yeah. your your neat or your non-exercise, um, Activity outside of the gym mm-hmm. um, and outside of walking, etc., just drops naturally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you're just starving all the time, you are not going to have like you're not going to have your normal walks that you might do, um, and that helps equate to the the calorie deficit. Yeah. So that's something else to think about. There was um I don't know how much it relates to this, but I was talking to Steve actually, um, and he was having a chat with uh, Joe, the nutritionist, and he said that Steve was eating like he was in a big big deficit, but he still wasn't particularly losing much weight, and it's because Steve was having like loads and loads of naps throughout the day, and that's just just because he was on such low calories that his yeah. body was, if anything, shutting down. So it would get really tired, go yeah. to sleep, so you wouldn't have really, yeah. you wouldn't be using as much energy then. So that's kind of a negative yeah. impact on it. So I feel like I know if I've been a very in a very slight deficit, I have far more energy than if I am. It's exactly. so much in a big deficit. And yeah. this is why the like reverse dieting works. Like people yeah. say, oh, your your metabolisms adapting to the extra calories, yeah. which maybe is on some degree, but also you just. With higher calories, more energy, even if you're going to just be moving more. Yeah. Your yeah, overall yeah. like, activity increases. So, if you're eating an extra 100 calories, you might be burning the 100 calories just by daily activity. Yeah. So, and it's one of those things that, like, life's good, man. Like, appreciate life. I don't think you can, if you're in a big deficit, you don't want it to then impact, like, you know, with pals, you've got no energy to do this and that. Whereas if you're in a small deficit and it's more sustainable, you can enjoy things, you can still go out, you can play sport with your pals, yeah. you can do whatever you want to do, and then life's not too much impact, then, like, life's short. So, enjoy it. It's fucking deep. Getting deep <laughs> on the, uh, the podcast. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. sugar-free. Yeah, exactly. No, but good, good conversation. Yeah, I think um, sustainable is key overall key you can key, yeah. sprinkle in the occasional bigger deficit but then you know you need to add up as well like what's more important to you man like dropping yeah. like a couple of kilos for your holiday versus like enjoying your training enjoying your life yes. that's down to the individual to decide yeah um, but yeah cool decent yeah next topic bit of a powerlifting one then I guess sure. I'll be taking the lead on this one I'll, uh, I'll come uh, we'll, we'll, well tell me more about rugby again or the turf games right. <laughs> <laughs> alright alright we'll do it one day we'll do me versus you fitness event. But we add little tough games. little sprinkles, little sprinkles of strength as well. Five we'll K win and then at one bet max. I want people. I want people to send in who they think would win in a fitness event, me or Luke. Well, I can tell you the answer already. <laughs> you? Um, <laughs> I'm not. That's not a question. I don't know. For Adam at the uh, old uh, Metcon yeah, yeah. games, he was he was strong. Yeah, yeah. So I think powerlifters have a bit of an more of an engine than you think. Now go on, take the lead on the powerlifting stuff, go on. Someone's asked about SPD days, um, yeah. they're quite common in powerlifting, obviously not everyone listening is going to be powerlifter or, or powerlifting, uh, but basically an SPD day is that typically at the end of the week um, you would do squat, bench and deadlift and the rationale would be replicating what you would do in a competition, so it's super specific, you get used to benching and deadlift under fatigue, uh, it also allows predictability of how you're going to perform on that day, so typically they would have... USBD day on a Saturday, and that's the day that most people compete. If you obviously find that you're going to compete on a Sunday, you'd probably meet with you there. And then the idea of these now is now there's like the, the idea of tapering for competitions is kind of not as much of a thing as it used to be. Like people used to aggressively taper. Now people taper way less than they used to. Um, and most people actually just train kind of normal into it. So if you set your week up that you've got your squat bench and deadlift on a Saturday, The session before it might be a lighter session. At the start of the week, you're doing your kind of secondary lifts. Like I said earlier, mine's a safety bar squat. might be for someone else, a poor squat. Mm -hmm. Whatever they need to work on, that's obviously individualised. But then when you're doing your SPD week, your final week of your competition, you would train exactly the same as you were. So your first session would be your safety bar. You might take an easy session for your final one, and then you've got your SPD, which you've already been doing. So it makes it super predictable to, to train. A couple of people have mentioned that I don't really give out SPD days, so I just like a couple of people asked. I thought I try and give like my my reasoning behind that. Yeah, head. yeah, cool. So the first of one, I actually do give people SPD days, but I really don't like heavy squat, heavy bench, heavy deadlift all on the same day. Yeah. There's a couple of reasons. Is the majority of the people that I train don't want to be in the gym for four hours. I was going to say it's a long session. Mate. If you're more or less simulating a competition, it's. Because, hard, yeah. because as well like in a comp you're doing three singles yeah. if you're doing an SPD day realistically you're going to be doing back sets as well so mm-hmm. each it's probably going to take you about an hour yeah. it, it, it's, it's a long old slog. which fair play to people that want to do it just a lot of people don't want to be doing it mm-hmm. if I do give someone an SPD day it would maybe be heavy squat maybe heavy bench but then a secondary day deadlift and this is the main reason actually why I don't do SPD days for the bulk of people is most people compete once or twice maybe three times a year so to me it d- it doesn't make sense to all the time plan your training around predictability of competitions when the competitions are so few and far between. Yeah. If you're only doing two or three competitions a year, if you're doing all of your deadlift training after the squat, which might be a detriment, you're not as fresh. Some people perform better on deadlift after the squats, yeah. but a lot of people would find it that you wouldn't be able to lift quite as much. So my argument is that rather than lining up with competitions, if you did your deadlifts fresh on another day in the week, you might be able to lift a couple of percents heavier. You might be able to accumulate a bit more volume. Yeah. Maybe long-term you get a better stimulus than that, which would allow your deadlift to increase more so. And then, yeah, maybe the predictability thing could be there on a Saturday. Maybe the last training block you line that up. But then what I like to do instead is give people their secondary deadlift day on that day. Mm-hmm. So you're still used to doing some deadlifting after you squats, under fatigue, but it's just a lighter day, where you're able to still get that work in. And then when you're a little bit fresher in the week, you're able to do your normal deadlift on that secondary day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, I guess it kind of linked to, sort of to Olympic lifting in a sense that there's a reason that like, no one really, well, it's very rare that a lot of Olympic lifters will PB like, in the, in the gym, on the gym floor. They'll normally PB at comps. Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of similar that you, you want to wait up until that comp, do you? To PB kind of thing. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I'm not sure if that's what they're saying with the predictability. It's more like, like even if you're not PBing beforehand, it's like yeah. you want to make sure that you're feeling strong on this particular day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. exactly what you're saying. Um, and I guess from like an outsider's point of view, um, when you're at a comp, it's hard to replicate that on the gym floor, like the adrenaline rush of everything. So there's like, a lot more to it, man. Yeah. yeah. So like when you're when you're actually there, you're more likely to be able to like. Fatigue is going to be less of a of a factor because you've got adrenaline and everything pushing you through. Whereas when you're on the gym floor and you're doing squat bench deadlift, yeah. like fatigue is going to be the main factor and it's yeah. probably going to limit you a lot more than when you are on that one off comp, two off comp kind of thing. You, so, yeah. The other thing is as well with like like I said with the tapering is because you are on that day rather than just doing three singles on squats. Which mm. the first one or two singles on squats are going to be fairly comfortable, Ho- yeah. hopefully anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the third one's going to be tough, admittedly, but it's only one rep. So when you're in the gym and you're doing, you might do a single at seven or eight half year and then you're doing three sets of five or a couple of triples. You're doing some hard training after it, like you're going to be very fatigued coming into that deadlift. Yeah. Um, so I do think that just takes away from it just a little bit yeah. too much. Uh, the other thing is, is like I think for most people, like not, I don't train anyone that like really underperforms on deadlifts come competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people actually perform really well, and it's quite easy to get the deadlift to turn up on competition day. Yeah. The lift that people struggle with is squat. Uh, which is then when it makes sense to do that kind of non taper thing that we spoke about. Because if you're always doing your heavy squat at the end of the week, it's really easy to set that up by doing your normal training through the week. Because mm-hmm. that's how you normally train anyway. So all you're doing is your normal training week. And if you're used to squatting heavy on a Saturday and you haven't adjusted anything else in the week, it makes that predictability of the squat really easy. Yeah. yeah. Then the deadlift. If you're squatting on a Saturday and you're deadlifting on a Wednesday, that last Wednesday session, you just take a very comfortable. I typically for people is around like a single or a double that like. 80 percent, so it's yeah. very comfortable work. A couple of like triples, and then they're feeling sharp on the day. They've still had a bit of skill practice, but then they've tapered enough that coming into the day after three singles, which isn't a lot of work on content, they're ready to perform their deadlifts. Yeah. So, why do you think that the tapering that like the tapering stuff has really taken a big step-not step back? Sorry, yeah. that's the wrong word. Um, it's not as popular it's not as, as, as it popular used to be. Used for you? What do you think the reasoning is behind that? Like I think. A lot of people used to believe in this like really big super compensation effect from when you'd like really be fatigued and then you strip that back and then yeah. you get this performance boost. And I think it just doesn't materialize for a lot of people mm-hmm. and I very rarely see it. Yeah. I looked at the studies on like peaking and tapering and when they do this like super compensation effect, you talk in maximum three percent. Yeah. But then the other thing is like people reduce the training loads down and then they come into the competition, they're not feeling sharp. They're feeling super fresh, but they're not feeling sharp and they're not feeling strong. So probably what's happened is they've tapered back that much that they've actually detrained, and then they're coming in actually feeling slightly weaker. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about doing your normal training week, if you set it up appropriately, most people do this um, uh, emerging strategy, as they call it, where you might have a four-week block, and then that fourth week is when you do your heaviest double or triple or whatever it is on that Saturday. So then you would line your training blocks up so that the competition falls on that day. Um, so if you're used to doing week four your heavy squat at the training block you make week four the competition week yeah. and then you just that normal training week, just train as normal and then you come into the session you're used to lifting heavy on that week four yeah. from your training day you probably know that that's a strong week for yourself so you're setting yourself up there for a good performance on that day yeah. Yeah. so I think most people just found that actually when they tape it back especially like lighter women and lighter men that would just get weaker from the reduction in the volume so I think people have just moved away from it yeah interesting no, I like it there you go a little bit of a uh, uh, Rationale to, to why? The hell is it? Uh, loads of people ask for that. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of brings us on to, we've got a couple more, uh, trying to go yeah. through these, because we're getting through some good stuff, but yeah, um, yeah. high V low days. Yes. Uh, we kind of spoke about it, just what I said, uh, with the SSB, um, the secondary day was a little bit too hard, it was starting to affect the main day, and I think that's yeah. similar to what you said about the rugby. Especially yeah. when you've got your trading week set up, oh. where you're having these days where they're a little bit easier, to then try and prioritise, a harder session later in the week or yeah. yourself in season of the game yeah i think within like team sports like i can obviously only most talk about rugby but i think in general like team sports like you want your heavy sessions to obviously be f- far enough away from the, the game or whatever sport you've done um so that you've had enough time to sort of recover and then enough time that you can recover going forward to the uh to your actual session and high versus low days are so useful because it's kind of it's all about minimising fatigue but maximising performance as much as possible so like on particular days yes yeah, yeah exactly so if you can do your, your high day for example in rugby normally your, your hard day is like a Tuesday yeah. it's far enough away from the game and then you've got far enough to recover you've got two days to recover yeah. Sunday, Monday um, and then even if you do like a low day maybe a Thursday or even a Friday depending on if you want to like potentially yeah, Friday, yeah, so yeah like all, all that kind big of stuff um, you want to do sort of as little as possible that you're not going to be fatigued but like the most amount that you are going to be firing going into that game, so high versus low days are so useful within essence, like the S and C world, and I guess it is. It gives over to powerlifting as well, really, like with regards to like you don't want to be like absolutely fatigued because you found yourself, didn't you, that you were doing too much on your low days that it was then affecting those high days that you yeah. wanted to get the most out of it. I think when you're looking at your training and you're trying to think about what you're trying to get out of certain days, you just got to make sure they don't all bleed into one. Because mm-hmm. I think if, you're, if you've are if got your high days and you've got your lower days, that's fantastic as long as they are what they are. Yeah. When you start to keep making your lower day harder and harder, eventually it's not a lower day anymore. and you're coming in and grinding out reps and it's really difficult, yeah. you're probably not getting the stimulus you want. So for most people, if they're like, look at the Bar club members, they've got their two sessions a week of squats, session three, this is normally an easy session, it's more, more folks around position. But if you're going yeah. so heavy that you're not pausing your squats and you're not holding your position, yeah. the question is then like, how much you actually get out of that session. And then the second one is, if you're then really beaten up for the next couple of days, you're coming into Monday not feeling sharp, you're feeling fatigued, you're not getting as much out of that day. Yeah. they are just bleeding into each other. Yeah. So I think the key to your training when you're setting it up is like, trying to keep the high, the harder days hard, the lighter days lighter, or the yeah. high days high, the lower days low and make yeah. sure that they're not affecting each other. Yeah, it's really trying to differentiate between like what the days actually are. So like rather than thinking it as, talk about barbell Club sessions is a good, good example really. Rather than treating it as like three full body sessions. All like, out. All out, whatever. Like knowing that those first two sessions are based around trying to get some good numbers in, good strength, all that kind of stuff. And that session three is a bit of a low day. As you say, positional stuff. That's why that first movement will either be like pauses, tempos, front squats, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and treating it as that and not getting too carried away and understanding that what you're getting out of that session isn't strength, it's all about that positional stuff, maybe a little bit of hypertrophy still on there, but like the strength stuff will all come in those first two sessions. Yeah, um, it, yeah it's, it's what you're trying to get out of those of a lot of sessions. Like for your rugby, you've got your hard session on a Tuesday, which yeah. is great, if you all of a sudden turn your Thursday into a hard lower body session as well, yeah. come the game, you're not going to be feeling good. Yeah. And your whole week is set up to try and maximise your performance on a Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, if your exactly. training is so hard that you're coming into Saturdays feeling tired, you've not achieved what you wanted out of the training. Yeah. While at the minute, you've got your hard day, that's your time to push. You've got your lighter day on Thursday, which is there to optimise how good you feel on the Saturday. Yeah. And the keys to keeping that there. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. start your season and you're doing like a hard session on a Tuesday, then your Thursday session, you're doing, like, some sprint drills, you're doing some low-volume work, some maybe some power base work. Fantastic. All of a sudden, if you keep adding volume, and you mm-hmm. keep adding intensity, all of a sudden that low day is not so low anymore, and then your Saturday's fucked. And it's trying to, like... especially like, right, mate, did your voice just break? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, oh, yeah, no, oh, oh, um, It's trying to, especially during pre-season um, with rugby, it's trying to actually have that low day, sort of, not as high as possible, but, like, trying to get everyone like acclimatized to actually getting good amounts of volume in so that they can be recovered for that Saturday so that you can push those boundaries within season because within season training like in the gym you're not trying to pb every week you're not trying to put as much muscle on it's just about sort of maintenance kind of stuff so if you can have that load as high as possible brilliant but if you do need to take back as you say it is there but like it's trying to set the foundations as early as possible within that pre-season so that you can still have good high numbers on those low days, but the fatigue isn't actually coming into it. Um, it's a fine balance as well. Like I don't want to make people super confused, but like you can definitely take it too far the other way as well, yeah, where you're yeah. not doing enough and then you're coming in sharp. That's going to sound a little bit confusing, but the, yeah, yeah. You know, the ongoing thing is just trying to find that sweet spot where yeah. you're doing enough on your lower days so you feel sharp, on your priority days where you're not doing so much that you're you're feeling fatigued. Mm-hmm. And that's just the ongoing battle. Oh, like yeah. I've been fucking, tra- I've been sorry, I've been training for years, and I'm still doing too much on that one day and I'm trying to ease it back and that's just the ongoing thing of training, yeah, just yeah, adjusting yeah. your training based off how you feel which is why we, we always recommend tracking like your sleep, your desire to train, community sessions and if you're finding you're coming into your main stuff not feeling great that's when you need to start to reduce it back, if you yeah. feel like you don't feel fatigued but you just don't feel sharp, then maybe you need to add a little bit more on that yeah. second day um, or your day before your game if it's the other way around that you're coming into your game and you're feeling super battered then you need to start to ease it back a little yeah. bit the so key is to always be like as, like as fresh as possible we talk about fatigue a lot in a lot of podcasts and it's, it's a big thing within the gym world but you want, you don't want to come into every session feeling, as you are saying feeling yeah. battered it's kind of like if you can recover as much as possible brilliant but like If you are coming into every session feeling aching, having this Dom's effect, don't chase that at all. It's trying to to be as fresh as possible. on On the flip side, why do you do a session on a Thursday? Um it's what? to set yourself up for something. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. you've got to do you've got to you don't want to be feeling as fresh as possible because if it's fresh as possible you just won't train. Yeah. So yeah. You're just doing that little bit on that lower day to feel sharp, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's the fine balance that we're trying to find. Exactly. It? Yeah. We haven't got the answers because everyone's individual, but um you're trying to do enough to feel sharp on your main days, but like you said, you're trying to avoid being super fatigued coming into your main days. Yes, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Ooh. Uh you wanted to talk about some uh, optimal training <laughs> oh this was yeah we could sort of brush over this lightly um well we've only got two more to talk about that and uh, the warming, the mentality on warm-ups so yes yeah. um this is kind of like a whole subject it's very big within the social media world about this optimal Speaking training of your build, the, bodybuilder, the, bodybuilder, the bodybuilder the bodybuilder i don't know what i'm not a bodybuilder You're um a bodybuilder. uh it's this whole optimal training and a lot of people uh, going down the lines of it of like Cable pulling, pulling at the right angles, pushing in the right angles, making sure you're optimizing your training as much as possible to hit the desired muscle within that session. Um, Compared to just sort of compound movements like, I'm talking like squat, bench, deadlift, bench press, bent over row, all those which involve a barbell, dumbbells, all that kind of stuff. Um, And it's just kind of comparing the two because I know a lot of people get confused about this optimal training Compared to like being like barbells oh, are shit, you should never actually use them. Um, and I'm not slagging off of like this optimal training. Like it is very useful to a lot of people, but I don't want people to get confused that they do need to be pulling at this angle to effectively hit their lats or hit their chest and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'll always say fundamental movements are the most useful thing in the world, um, and they're more transferable. So like for example, if you're looking at like a thoracic seated row where you want to get into that T-spine as much as possible, to get into that position it's probably a lot harder like, than than needed, so like actually just going for a normal bent over row or whatever where you're actually hitting your whole back is going to be far more useful to the gen pop compared to a gen pop doing that kind of um, movement. Um, I think even bodybuilders, like I think I think the danger with anything is this black and white thinking where you yeah. think the compounds have to be separate to the optimal. You can't do both. Well yeah. I think that's where the danger comes with anything. So like the group that only do compounds if you're trying to be a bodybuilder is probably a bit too extreme. Yeah. Versus the other group that are only only an optimal is probably a bit too extreme as well. Yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. doing a... Just, even if you're doing full-body sessions, which is what we normally push or up and lower for... The bulk of people in the, that train here that we work with, the demographic is that they want to do six days a week, yeah, bodybuilder splits. If you're doing three or four full body sessions or up or lower, there's room for both, mm-hmm. um, but it's like like you said, trying to prioritise your big movements, your bang for yeah. your books, and also like, we, we speak a lot about like the intent of trying to do them. I think it's really difficult to do, like you said, a cross body, thoracic, seated role, yeah. um, with the intent needed to actually grow muscle versus like a hard set of bent over rows where yeah. you're going to be going in with it intentful trying to like add a rep or trying to you know control it better than last week, there's less to think about, isn't there? Doing that kind of movement, yeah. yeah. And it's just more like from the get go, there's, there's more intent behind that set versus yeah. if you're doing a set of 12 really slow tempo each back to get to the effective reps, it's a lot of slow work to get there, and I yeah, think it just yeah. takes away sometimes from the set, yeah. And I think timings wise, like your average Joe isn't going to. Wanting to do five six sessions a week of like really breaking down each individual muscle, they want to get in the gym, do as little as po- as you say, bang for your buck, as little as possible to get the desired outcome they want. More results within the times that they yeah have, like yeah I have to train yeah definitely. I think it's it's a big thing within bodybuilding, and I'm all for it. Like um, <laughs> you so, keep it with the bodybuilding, work, oh you? yeah, I love it. Um, I think breaking down these optimal movements is useful. I mean, you'll see, for example, like Chris Bumstead, he he'll, he'll get. As you say, he'll do both. Like, you'll see him do I was going to say, if you just said he doesn't do the bar, No, I was going to say. Don't worry. I was going to say, he does like, bent over rows, back, like, barbell squats. Have you seen his squats? It's, it's incredible. A arm yeah, arm 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 yeah he deadlifts, he conventionals, he, he does like all of it. Yeah, he does a lot. But then he also does like, Optimal movements, like he'll do, like things that will break down, like his pulling, his pushing. That's what I'm saying. When he's doing a shoulder day or he's doing a back day, he'll start off with, let's say, deadlift, and then he'll do some bent over rows. Yeah. And then he might move to single arm. Yeah. Room for both. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, I think that's a nice little topic to sort of touch on. Just like yeah, optimal is useful, but um, fundamentals is the most important. Key and Yeah, as we always say, it's just avoiding this black and white thinking where yeah. you have to do only compounds or you only have to do optimal. Yeah, you yeah. can do both if you if you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. If you enjoy doing more of the optimal trading, probably cool. do a cool. couple of compounds and then yeah. maybe jump on the optimal after. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. if you enjoy doing big heavy compounds, then fantastic. Yeah, I want I mean, to look at you because you're a bodybuilder, aren't you? I'm not a fucking bodybuilder you're a body, You've got a compound. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I yeah, I have got a compound. No, um, I think that um. Don't quote me on this, but I think if you do sort of compound movements, I think they'll translate a lot better over to the optimal training rather than vice versa. Um I'd like to see. I, I don't know if there's. Yeah, well, I know you say so. Like, if you build up your bent over roll and add ten kilos to it, your optimal's going to get better, but yes. your one arm thoracic isn't going to improve your bent over. Exactly. I think deadlifting will allow you to be a better one arm single arm pull down, but that's going yeah. to improve your deadlift. Is yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I think that's a that's a lot more useful. Um But yeah. Cool. I think we'll leave it there. Yeah. Cool. That's a that. yeah. Hopefully, you all found that interesting, guys. We've covered a few different topics. Hopefully, you found them of use. But if you have any further questions, of course, you can have drop us a message on Instagram um, or any of the socials, or you can drop us a email. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, we will see you on the next one. Thanks very much. Bye. Ah. I don't think. I don't think it fucking. Do you know what we should do, mate? So the video, if you put it onto YouTube,